Hey there, welcome to Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. Welcome to our online Sunday morning experience. We're glad you've joined us today. We are in part two of our series called God Is. Well, Samuel Brangle was a worker with the Salvation Army in Boston many years ago. And it was just, as he was passing by a bar one time, some men threw a brick at his head. And apparently their aim was good because they hit him in the head and he nearly died. As it was, he spent 18 months in recovery from that injury. During that time, he wrote a little book called Helps to Holiness. Thousands of copies were published. After he was able to begin preaching again, people would often come to him and thank him for writing the book. He would respond by saying if there had been no little brick, there would have been no little book. His wife saved the brick that had been thrown at him and had Genesis 50:20 engraved on it, which says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. You see, in the middle of circumstances, circumstances that bring pain, God is always working in the background. We don't always understand in the moment why things are the way they are. And if we were God, well, honestly, sometimes we look at things and say, I would do it differently. Most of us would say that we believe that God is in control and that he has the power to do whatever he chooses to. But if we're honest, there's a little bit of friction there. And the friction comes from the fact that when we look around and we see the world around us and we see what's going on, at times it feels like maybe he doesn't have the power. Some people, especially in this season, have come to that conclusion. That based on what I'm seeing, God must not care. Because God is, if God is in control and God cares, then how do you explain COVID-19? Why, why doesn't he just wipe it away with one swipe of his hand? And God, while you're at it, why don't you just eradicate cancer and hunger and abuse and, and so many other things? If God is in control and he cares, then how do you explain things in life that the majority of us, like if we had the power, we would eliminate it? And I'm not just talking like one or two people, I'm talking about 99% of us. Given the power to remove something like cancer, we would. See, there's this religious belief called deism. And deism tr tries to explain, this, explain it all away like this. Deism says that God sets the series of events that begin life, and then he just sits back and he watches. It's like one of those toys, you know, those, they're called, I think they're called Newton's cradles. It's got the, the bunch of balls, and you, the metal balls, and you just drop one and it hits and it, and it hits the other ones and they go back. It's like setting things in motion, then just sitting back and watching it for your entertainment. Deism believes that God set things in motion, but he doesn't interfere with life after that. Like we're here for his pure entertainment and he doesn't change anything. Well, last week we began this series looking at the life of Job. And very few people have experienced the sudden pain and loss that Job has. Job lost all of his livestock, lost his business, and he lost all of his children all in one day. In that moment, despite those around him that are encouraging him to turn his back on God, Job actually doubles down and he worships God, the God who gives and the God who takes away. So he wants to keep his faith. He wants to trust that God is in control. Yet everything around him, the evidence points to the fact that God either doesn't have the power to change his circumstances or he doesn't care. In Job chapter 2, Job's just lost his business, his servants, and his livestock, and his children. And then we read next is that God gives, gives Satan permission to turn his attention toward Job's health. 
And so we find Job covered from head to toe in painful boils. Job chapter 2 verse 8 says this, Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among his ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. He's like, Job, just, just give up. You see, it's easy to read through this story real quickly if you're reading through it in your Bible and think, wow, she really lacks faith. I mean, Job, he's this great man of faith, but she really lacks faith. But you have to put yourself in her shoes. See, we often focus on what Job has lost in this story, but Job's wife, which we don't have a name for, she's nameless, she also suffered loss. The livelihood of her family is gone. The ten children that she gave birth to are all gone. She is a mother and she's a wife who is in mourning. And to make matters worse, she's now watching her husband, who is grieving as well, now in extreme physical pain as well as the emotional pain. And so for many of us, we have a hard time when we see the ones that we love in pain. We would rather be in pain ourselves than actually feel helpless and watch our loved ones be in pain. And she's in this position. So for her to cry out and curse, to curse God and die isn't, isn't an unnatural reaction. Perhaps it just illuminates Job's unnatural response to worship God in the midst of his pain. Last week we determined that God is in control and God has power. But when we look at Job's life right now, here's a new question to consider. Is God sympathetic? Is he kind? Does he care? See, when God is described throughout the Bible, the title that's given to him over and over again is this one of father. But what kind of father is he? I don't know if you've ever been on a plane uh, that's hit turbulence, but it can be a scary thing, especially if you're a person who already doesn't really like flying. I love flying myself, but my wife, Jen, she doesn't so much. Not enough to stop her from flying anywhere, but when we're taking off or landing or if we hit turbulence, it's not uncommon for her to dig her fingernails right into my, my forearm to the point where there's marks or sometimes even blood. And we were on a particular flight one time with our kids and they were really young. Both my kids were real young when we were on this flight and we hit some turbulence. And Jen's doing everything she can just to maintain uh, a front that she's not bothered by, but I know she is. And, and she's just trying to keep her own sanity, but not letting the kids see that, you know, this, this, this is kind of scare, a scary situation. And what I noticed was this, that the kids would look to me for reassurance that it was all going to be okay. That, that I would protect them. And that was not the time to reassure them that really I don't have any power to do anything if this plane goes down. That would, that would have been bad timing. But they were frightened. And they had this false sense that dad will protect us. But their fear still lingered a bit. And then they look to their mom to soothe them. They look to their mom for sympathy. They look to their mom for the, that comfort that they, that they required. And so we see this with Job. He's put his trust in God. It has the power to do all things. But then he appeals to God's sympathetic side. And he's like, God, I know you said everything will be okay, but do you care? Are you sympathetic to my plight right now? Do you, do you see me, God? And he proceeds to ask God questions. And last week we saw that God responds to Job's questions by not answering his questions, but asking Job questions in return. Questions about the universe and Job's place in it. Job, were you there when the world began? Job, do you, do you know how many clouds there are in the, in the sky? Job, do you know how the sun rises and sets? And what becomes clear through this, this set of questions is God is in complete control. He set everything in motion. 
But then God, God's questions start to shift. And he goes from asking questions about astrology in the universe to asking questions about biology. He goes from talking about the constellations to talking about caring for a baby bird. Job 38-41, he says, Who provides food for the ravens when their young cry out to God and wander about in hunger? He's like, Job, who gives a horse strength in order to be able to get up and run? Job, who determines the amount of time that a young deer carries its baby? And we begin to see this picture of God that is a lot softer. Job, does the hawk take flight from your wisdom? Is it your command that the eagle follows, it flies and rises to heights where it builds its nest? And you see, God's pointing out to Job, look at the animals around you. Do you see how I take care of them, even right down to the smallest of details? And as Job is taking in God's questions, he has determined through his previous questions that, God, I can see how you're in control of the universe, but do you, and you have the power to put things in motion, but do you have the care? Do you have the concern for the details of life? And what Job starts to discover is that God actually is a caring creator who delights in his creation. He's thoughtful when it comes to his provision. So Job listens about the way God cares for the donkey and the ostrich and the horse and the eagle. He's like, I can see, God, how you take care of each of these things. Did you know that the eagle, for example, has an eyesight that is four times the, the eyesight that we have? That's why they build their nests up high for protection, but they can also look down on the, their food that they're going to attack because they can see things that we can't see from a far distance. See, God pays attention to all these little minute details to make sure his creation is provided for us. So that's why there's this passage in Job 12 where Job says that one of the ways that we understand God is by talking to the animals, which immediately that's very strange. It sounds very strange, but, but listen to it in a poetic sort of way. Job 12, verse 7 to 10 says, Just ask the animals and they will teach you. Ask the birds of the sky and they will tell you. Speak to the earth and it will instruct you. Let the fish in the sea speak to you. For they know that my disaster has come from the hand of the Lord, for the life of every living thing in his hand and the breath of every human being. You see, it's poetic. It's not, it's not telling you to literally go out into your front lawn today and start talking to a bird. Just don't do that. Your neighbors will start looking at you weird for weeks. But Job says, look at the stories of the birds. Look at the stories of the fish. Look at creation. Is it not apparent that if they could tell you their story, wouldn't they all agree that God is all-powerful and holds everything in his hand? Let's look at a few of the animals. Let's, uh, let's look at their, their story. Let's look at the woodpecker. When a woodpecker is hitting its head against a tree, its head is going at a rate of 50, it's at 15 times per second. That's like twice the speed of a, of a bullet. See, when I was doing youth ministry, I was a youth pastor, I would often do this game with students that, uh, as an icebreaker up front, just kind of, kind of put them into a, a, a you know, more, more of a calmer mood, I guess. And one of the games we would play is this game called Bobblehead. And what I did is I bought these really two, these two real cheap um, step counters. You know, the kind of kind that you put on your belt, and and you know, as you're walking, it continually um, tracks your steps and gives you the number of steps you've had at the end of the day based on the movement. Well, what I did was I put those step counters on headbands. 
And I would have two students go one against each other and they would stand at the front in front of all the other students. And when I said go, they had 60 seconds to basically bob their head as fast as they could until I said stop and, and then whoever had the highest number won. Well, I wanna make sure this worked. And so, because and there's nothing worse than, than coming up with a game and the game just kind of flops in front of everybody and it's kind of embarrassing. So I, I like to test these games out. So here I am in my office, just middle of the day, I've got this headband on that's got a, a step counter on the front of it, and I'm nodding my head as fast as I can. And, and yes, they, they pay me for that. Well, I remember the next day, I remember waking up and my neck felt like it was out of place. It hurt so bad, I couldn't turn it, I couldn't look up, I couldn't look down. And it was, and I realized I forgot that it was from doing that head motion over and over and over again. It was also one of the signs that I was getting too old for youth ministry. Well, a woodpecker, if they were playing that same game, would register a number, a number of 900 head, head nods per minute. Not to mention that the fact that it's knocking its head against a tree and it doesn't suffer multiple concussions. The reason is because the woodpecker has this built-in shock absorber. Uh, God's placed this shock absorber between its beak and its brain as a, a, a way of protecting it. Engineers have tried to, to replicate this shock absorber without any success. But God cared for the, the woodpecker in such a unique way so that they could find food and so that they could create a home. So ask the woodpecker if God cares. Ask the honeybee. Uh, maybe you learned about the honeybee in school. They go and they find pollen and then they return to the hive. And, and when they return to the hive, they give directions to all the other honeybees to where to get the pollen. But how do they give directions? Have you ever wondered that? Well, it took scientists a, a long time to figure this out. But it turns out that when a honeybee discovers pollen, it will return to the hive and near the entrance, there's this area where that's the, the scientists kind of call the dance floor. And this honeybee, with, with a bunch of honeybees all gathered around watching, will perform a dance that the scientists call the waggle dance. I'm not making this up. It sounds like I am, but I'm not. Other bees will gather around and watch this complicated dance, and from that dance, they will get the coordinates to the pollen. And the longer that the bee waggles, and I don't know what the waggle, is, waggle looks like, the further the pollen catches. Scientists actually discovered that for every 75 milliseconds that the bee carries out this waggle dance, it, pro, that it equals 330 feet to the distance of the pollen patch. And then the direction is indicated by the way that the bee moves across the dance floor. So this imaginary line, if it moves straight across and it does this waggle dance across this, a straight line, it means go straight towards the sun that many seconds, however long it, it did its dance. And the more emphatically it does the dance, the, the better the pollen patches. If it does, if it goes sort of 20% angle away from this imaginary straight line on their dance floor, they know to go 20% angle away from the sun. You see, God stops at nothing to make sure his creation is cared for. Ask the pigeons. Pigeons will return home over and over without ever getting lost. It's not the only bird that can do this. The Arctic uh, tern can fly 40,000 kilometers from one destination to another and never get lost. How, does, how do these birds find where they're supposed to go? I've always wondered. Well, they have this built-in GPS system. It's like they have, there's, there's something magnetic that interacts with the Earth's magnetic field, and it knows exactly where to go. 
There are so many examples of this in the animal kingdom if you look into it. So Job says, talk to the animals. They will tell you their story. That there's a creator that cares about its creation. God has the world in his hands. So in chapter 39 of Job, Job tends to be just be, Job finds that God's answering life's difficult questions by pointing to his creation. In the same way that you can tell a lot about an artist by their art, you can tell a lot about a creator by their creation. And so by looking at creation, we discover that not only is God powerful and is he, he's in control, but God is thoughtful and he's caring. Now, for some of you, you've struggled with this a little bit. You struggle with the fact that God doesn't directly answer Job's questions, because if it was you, that's what you want. If you went through something traumatic like this, you would want to sit down with God. God, I want you to tell me all the reasons. I'm having a hard time accepting this. I'm having a hard time figuring out how, how you're working out things for my good. But please, I need you to answer my questions. And you're struggling with it. And I'm sure Job was. Job was probably like, God, why? Why, why am I dealing with this? Why? Because... Why do you want this for me? But the truth is, God is God. And God doesn't owe Job an explanation, or God, he doesn't owe you or me an explanation. He's God. But would we really understand if he did explain it? So instead, he asked Job a series of questions to make it clear to Job. Job, I know what you're going through. I see you. I, I, I care. I hurt for you. The question is, even if you don't have all the answers to your questions, do you believe he cares? Do you believe he cares? You ever taken a kid to get a needle? I'll say my kids handled needles much better than I did when I was a kid. I was an absolute wreck. But how do you explain to a three-year-old that I'm going to allow this stranger to poke you in it? It's probably going to hurt, but it's for your good. I could explain the science behind the, the, the vaccine or the needle that they're getting. There's the shots they're getting. They, they wouldn't understand. They're three years old. They're not capable of understanding. They just know that the person that cares for them took them to a stranger, and, and now they're feeling pain. And, then, and the person who cares about them allowed that. But what you could do is you could, you could take them around the house. You could open up the fridge and you could say, you see the food in here? Why do we have food in here? Because you need to eat. And I want you to eat and I care about you. So we bought food. You see this, take them into the room. You see this bed, this, this soft bed? Why do, you, why do you have the bed in here? Because you need to sleep and we care about you and we want, we, we want you to be able to sleep comfortable. What about these toys? These toys are here because we care about you and we know that you enjoy them. Open up the front closet. You see this jacket? This is your jacket. Why do you have this jacket? Because we bought this jacket for you because we don't want you to be cold. Because we care about you. And so you, you kind of build this case that you, the evidence points that to a three-year-old that they're cared about. But, so you need to trust that this needle you're getting doesn't change how much we care about you. And that's what God does for Job. Instead of explaining the details of why, there's a good, jo there's a good chance Job still wouldn't have understood. And so Job begins to see... The ways that God provides in ways he never has before. Because before we meet Job, Job has everything. His every need was taken care of. It's the reason why those that live in third world countries often have a better awareness of their need for God. 
See, in North America, we're so spoiled that we go through life without recognizing our need for God or our dependence upon God. Because we go through life and, and, and we realize that you know, we can take care of many things until our money and our resources can't fix something, like our health or a disaster. Then suddenly our eyes turn towards heaven. And so Job, who has this comfortable life and knows of God, admits he didn't know God until it was all stripped away. When Job sees his need for God, that's when he sees God. When everything else is pulled, pulled away, he sees God in a way he never had. Let me tell you about one more animal. It's an animal called the golden plover. It's this small bird, very, very small bird, bird about the size of a, a blade of grass. and It spends its summers in northern Canada and in Alaska. And then it migrates just before the winter. It flies down to Hawaii, crosses over the Pacific Ocean. And what's special about the golden plover is this. It makes the flight nonstop, just over 4,000 kilometers. And to give you some perspective on that, that's like flying across the Atlantic from, from Newfoundland to Europe. Nonstop. The flight time is roughly 88 hours. Nowhere to rest, constantly flying. They estimate it flaps its wings 250,000 times consecutively. Scientists have looked at the golden plover, looked at its size, how much energy it would take to make that trip, and they're baffled. It shouldn't be able to do it. At the most, they've calculated the bird should be able to make it, based on its size, based on the energy that it would, that it would take, it should be able to make it 81% of the way. It just doesn't calculate. At 81%, they should just drop out of the sky into the Pacific Ocean to drown. Now, think about the God of the golden plover. It's for some of you, especially when it comes to this pandemic, you're tired. You're tired of what's happening around you. You're tired of the restrictions. You're tired of being tired. And you're not sure if you can make it through. And you're like that plover that's been flying for hours and, and it just feels like you've been on this journey for so long and you don't even see the land that's ahead of you. And you, like, you've done the math and you realize, I don't know if I can make it. And you've self-talked and encouraged yourself, keep going, come on, keep going. But the journey has stretched on and the finish line seems like it just seems to be too far out of reach. Now, it seems too far in the, this whole pandemic. It just seems like it's stretched on way too long. And, and you feel like you've hit the 81% mark and you're about to fall out of the sky. Here's what Job wants you to understand. It's in these moments that's where you meet God. When you're weak, you have this opportunity to, to recognize your dependence upon God and meet God in a way that you never have before. Maybe you've heard about him, but you've never you, but now, it's in now that you can see him. You maybe even grew up in church. You know the Bible stories, and you could probably recite them, but they really didn't mean anything until now. But now that you see your need, you have this opportunity to see God and allow him to carry you the last 19%. See, Jesus taught us that when we pray, we should pray, God, give us this day our daily bread. When's the last time you prayed that? And I don't mean just like as a memorized prayer. I mean, when's the last time you asked God, God, I need, I need to depend on you. 
I need you to provide for me because I don't know where my next bit of energy or money or, or, or time or bread or whatever is going to come from. Like I said, we live in a culture in a country where we work hard to insulate ourselves from discomfort. We want to control the things that we are in need of. I want my pension and my health insurance and my savings account to give me comfort. But we all know those are kind of built on sand that can all be taken out from under you. God shows up in the places when we recognize our need for him. David says it this way in Psalm 34. God is close to the brokenhearted. 1 Peter 5, 7, it says that we should cast all our cares on God because he cares about us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God cares for you? Because if you waver on this, go back and read Job chapter 39. Have a conversation with the woodpecker or the honeybee or the pigeon. Read their stories or the golden plover. They will tell you how God provides. And then Jesus uses this, his father's approach with his followers. And he's trying to get them to understand their worth and how their heavenly father sees them. And he says in Matthew 10, 29, but not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Look around. See the evidence. Hear their stories. The greatest evidence is that God sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross. That Jesus took on our, our, took our place, took the punishment of our sins on him, and died on the cross as a sacrifice for us. That's the only evidence you really need. See, no matter how out of control things are, God cares. Of course he cares. Let's pray. God, you're a heavenly father that not only is all-powerful and all-knowing, but you care about our details. In the way we look around and you see the way that you've taken care of the animals and that they, they lack for, for nothing. God, we worry about things when really our dependence should be upon you. Our dependence should be that you will provide for us and that we, there is really no need to worry. God, let each of us take comfort in the fact that you know us by name. You care about us. You care about our circumstances. You care about us even when things are going bad, that God, you haven't left us or forsaken us. And so God, may we see you in a new and fresh way today. May, may we not wait until things go bad before we turn our eyes towards you. God, let us journey with you each and every day. May we wake up each day and say, Lord, give us our daily bread. Provide the things that we need, Lord. God, we love you. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.